0: Hello, and welcome to this week's recording of the local news, brought to you by the Equipment Service for the Blind and the Worcester News. Our service is free, but if you'd like to make a donation towards the running costs, or if you have some comments about our service, Please leave a message in your wallet or give us a ring here at Colin Chance House. And I'd like to thank Mr and Mrs Day for a donation that we have received this week. Thank you very much. I am Sally and Ian, Rhiann, and Hannah are reading with me and Nigel is our sound engineer. We'll be covering the news including Friday, April the 1st until Thursday, April the 7th. We'll start with the headline stories. Um, what's on in the local area, followed by general stories from the week, and then there will be some sporting items, and the obituaries will be at the end of the recording. I'll now pass you over to Ian.
1: The thought for the day is from Matthew chapter 21, verses 9 to 11. The crowds that went ahead of Jesus and those that followed shouted. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Sunrise currently is 6.28am and sunset at 7.53pm. The following people have birthdays coming up shortly. On the 9th of April, Kate Hudman. On the 12th, James Bowden. And on the 13th, Hazel Jeffs. We wish them all a very happy birthday. I will now pass you on to Hannah for some useful phone numbers.
2: Yes, so the number for feedback here in Wilds Lane is 01905 767766. The police non emergency number is 101. The Crime Stoppers is 0800 The Worcester Hub is 01905 765 765. And Worcester Live is 01905-611427. Malvern Theatres 01684-892277. And the out-of-hours medical services are 111. The free phone number for the Samaritans is double one six one two three. And here are the first few items from the What's On. Amateur singers of all kinds are invited to take part in a special Come and Sing one-day workshop in Worcester later this month, offering the chance to learn two much-loved choral works. The event, hosted by Worcester Festival Choral Society, will enable singers to try out both Antonio Vivaldi's joyful Baroque masterwork, Gloria, and John Rutter's equally thrilling piece of the same name. More than 100 singers from across the UK are expected to take part in the annual workshop, which is being held at St Andrew's Church, Pump Street, just off Worcester High Street. As well as singing sessions, the day will include expert insights into each work, vocal tips and informal performance with soloists and a chance to socialise with other musically-minded people. The workshop will be led by Worcester Cathedral's former Assistant Director of Music and WFCS conductor, Christopher Alsop. The accompanist is Nicholas Freeman, who is the current Assistant Director of Music at both the Cathedral and WFCS. Registrations will open from 9.30am on Saturday, April 23rd, with the first singing session starting at 10.15. The day concludes by 4.45pm. Ben Cooper, chairman of Worcester Festival Choral Society, said, We have a brilliant day in store, singing through both of these wonderful glorias under the baton of such an interesting and talented conductor. You don't need choral experience or a great voice to take part, just a love of singing and the ability to read music a little, so you can get the most from the day. Event host, Worcester Festival Choral Society, which comprises 150 auditioned amateur singers, is one of England's most respected choirs of its kind. Closely associated with Edward Elgar in its early years, the independent self-funded society has just celebrated its 160th concert season. Its annual commencing workshop is one of its most popular events and complements the three major choral concerts that the society performs at Worcester Cathedral each year. Come and sing tickets are £20 for adults and £10 for full-time students, including vocal score hire for the day and free tea and coffee. For lunch, singers have the option of pre-ordering a packed lunch with their ticket and cake will also be available. You can also book by visiting www.wfcs.online. And the date for the next coffee concert for charity at Worcester Church has been announced. St. Martin's Church in London Road is holding the concert on Saturday, April 23rd. The concert will be taking place between 10.15 and 11.15 a.m. Programme details and performers are yet to be announced. Organisers invite people to come along and enjoy coffee or tea and homemade cake while listening to the concerts. There'll be free entry with donations to this month's charity chosen by the musicians. For more details on the event, visit the church's website, uk. And I can thoroughly uh, recommend that. We've been to a few of them. It's wonderful. And... Rapidly rising comedy star Chris McCausland comes to Worcester next month with his stand-up show Speaky Blinder, a show about life and family with loads of other nonsense thrown in for good measure. Does life ever become overwhelming? Do you bemoan the stresses and strains of parenthood, a busy career, the rat race or everyday existence? Well, imagine having all that but being blind too. Chris McCausland is that man. But luckily for Chris, he has also been gifted with a superb sense of humour and an unbeatable wit. This allows him not only to see the funny side in the life he leads with all its difficulties, but also allows him to express this comedy on, on the stage. Following his debut appearance on Live at the Apollo in 2018, Chris is in great demand and has become a regular face on our televisions with multiple hit appearances across such flagship comedy programmes as Have I Got News For You, Would I Lie To You, QI, The Last Leg and Eight Out Of Ten Cats Does Countdown. He has appeared on live at the Apollo three times and his third latest appearance was hosting the renowned stand-up show. Chris recently made his debut appearance on none other than the Royal Variety Performance, which aired in December and in which he naturally had the esteemed guests rolling in the aisles. He has also recently made appearances on celebrity editions of favorites such as Mastermind, The Chase, Antiques Road Trip and Blankety Blank. Originally from Liverpool, Chris is blind due a degenerative eye disorder called retinitis pigmentosa, RP, which caused him to lose his sight gradually throughout the first 20 or so years of his life. He has spent almost two decades travelling the country performing stand-up comedy and will perform at Huntingdon Hall on May 14th. For tickets, call 01905-411627.
3: Thank you. At Malvern Theatre next week, Monday the 11th of April till Saturday the 16th of April at the Festival Theatre, one of Britain's greatest modern plays, The Rise and Fall of Little Voice, is embarking on a UK tour. The Olivia Award-winning comedy-drama for from Jim Cartwright has earned international acclaim across the globe, including a Golden Globe-winning smash hit film starring Jane Horrocks and Michael Caine. The performances will be at 7.30pm in the evening and on Wednesday and Saturdays, the matinees at 2.30pm. On Friday, the 15th of April at 3pm, The Armonico Consort and Baroque Orchestra will perform Bach's St. John's Passion. Um, The director is Christopher Monks. The singers and period instrumentalists of Armonico Consort will present Bach's vivid and dramatic musical depiction of The Passion of Christ, performed in its traditional Good Friday afternoon setting. That's Friday the 15th of April at 3pm at Malvern Theatre. On Saturday the 9th of April at 7.30pm at Huntington Hall, two pianos, one rock and roll show will be presented. They are two of the finest keyboard players you could wish to see coming together for the first time ever to play tribute to legendary local promoter John Banner on his 80th birthday. And especially to pay tribute to his number one idol, Jerry Lee Lewis. Don't miss the unique once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to join Steve Wickett's and Peter Gill as they strut their stuff. On Sunday, the 10th of April at 7.30pm at Huntington Hall, Martin Turner, expert Wishbone Ash, will perform with his band, returning to the concert stages in 2022, two vintage Wishbone Ash albums in their entirety. 1972's Argus, celebrating the album's 50th anniversary, and 1973's Wishbone 4, featuring epic tracks such as The King Will Come, Warrior, and Throw Down the Sword. On Tuesday, the 12th of April, until Saturday, the 16th of April, at Vesta Tilly Studio at 7.30 pm, and Saturday at 2.30 pm and 7.30 pm, skylight will be performed it's a play by david Hare, and it's on a um about a teacher in a rough inner city school receives an unexpected visit from her former lover tom it's been three years since they last saw each other and it seems their spark isn't gone but as the estranged pair's passion reignites the gulf that separates them grows forcing them to ask themselves if there are certain differences that can never be overcome On Wednesday, the 13th of April at 7.30pm at Huntington Hall, Juan Martin, the flawless guitarist and composer, plays and introduces audiences to the great tradition of flamenco. He has recorded 20 albums and has made three films with his dance company. Juan was voted into the top three flamenco guitarists in the world by Guitar Player USA has toured the world playing concerts from Shanghai and Melbourne to New York as well as in the Montreux Jazz Festival. On Thursday the 14th of April at 7.30pm at the Swan Theatre, Ian Waite and Vincent Simone, the Ballroom Boys double act, are set to return with their brand new show, Ian Waite and Vincent Simone Act 2. The fabulous Strictly Come Dancing stars promise another wonderful evening of old-school variety. Dance, comedy and song with beautiful costumes, gorgeous lighting and world-class routines. If you enjoyed the Ballroom Boys, then make sure you don't miss Act 2. On Friday the 15th of April at 7.30pm at Huntington Hall, Level 42 Tribute, Never 42 performing the hits of Level 42, including Lessons in Love, Something About You and The Sun Goes Down. A seven-piece band, Never 42, recreate the sound of the 80s stalwarts with unerring accuracy. And then finally, at the Swan Theatre on Saturday the 16th of April at 7.30pm, One Night in Dublin will come to Worcester at the Swan Theatre, guaranteeing One Glorious Night of High Energy Irish Music. The multi-award-winning Irish tribute band, the Wild Murphys, features the very best musicians playing a thrilling mix of traditional and contemporary tunes guaranteed to have the audience's hands clapping and toes tapping all night long. Thank you.
0: Lots to do in the area in the next week or two. Um, now we'll have the headline news starting with Friday, April the 1st. Racist abuse at taxi driver. A series of upsetting videos show two men wearing hoodies attacking a taxi driver who cannot be seen on the video and who remains in their car throughout. This is the moment a taxi driver in Worcester was subjected to vile, racist abuse while sat at a taxi rank in the city. The shocking footage has been labelled as disgusting and horrifying with claims taxis should be fitted with panic buttons. The two men can be seen trying to open the door of the taxi before punching, kicking and headbutting the car. They hurl a series of racist slurs at the taxi driver and threaten them with violence. Caught on camera, the ordeal lasts for several minutes before the two men eventually walk away. Worcester News understands the incident has been reported to the police and has asked West Mercia police for a comment. Harris Saleem from the Worcester Taxi Drivers Association, said, I'm lost for words. This video is disgusting, horrifying and terrifying. For something like this to happen in the city centre, a driver being attacked like that and abused racially, it is shocking. It is not always reported but this type of thing does happen quite regularly. If a driver is on his own or has been out of town, you don't know what he's been through. We all get these kinds of remarks or abuse, but we try to ignore it. Mr Salim said he believes the driver is doing okay, other than being shook up. I thought the driver, apart from being terrified, did a brilliant job, he said. The temptation can be to get out and try to defend yourself or protect your vehicle, but this could have been so much worse if he'd got out of the car. Mr Salim suggested that taxis be fitted with panic buttons, enabling them to call for police backup quickly and discreetly if the driver feels they are in danger. This is our livelihood. We're out there serving the community and we need protection. The videos can be viewed at worsternews.co.uk.
1: Moving on to Saturday and Sunday, April the 2nd and 3rd. Rottweiler was dog in fatal attack. Police have confirmed that a Rottweiler was involved in the death of a two year old boy in Egdon. The child sustained serious injuries at his home in Egdon on Monday, the 28th of March, and was in cardiac arrest. After being taken to Worcestershire Royal Hospital, he was transferred to Birmingham Children's Hospital, where he died on Wednesday, March the 30th. A West Mercia police spokesman said, At this time we cannot confirm how many dogs were involved in the incident, but three Wattweiler dogs have been removed from the property. They are being looked after and securely housed. The child's family will not be releasing a statement or tribute at this time and request that their privacy is respected at this extremely difficult time. Superintendent Rebecca Love, local policing commander for South Worcestershire, confirmed the boy had died at a press conference on Wednesday. We have been informed this morning that the young boy who was injured in an incident on Monday in Egdon, Worcestershire, has sadly passed away. Officers responded to a report of a two-year-old child in cardiac arrest at approximately 11.20am on Monday the 28th of March It was quickly established that the child had suffered injuries as a result of being bitten by a dog at the address in Worcestershire The child was transferred from Worcestershire Royal Hospital to Birmingham Children's Hospital and despite medical treatment has died as a result of his injuries This is a truly tragic incident and our thoughts are with the family at this very difficult time Three dogs have been removed from the property and are currently being housed securely. I'm unable to confirm the breed of the dogs at this time, but we do not believe they are banned under the Dangerous Dogs Act. An investigation continues, and I would ask for your respect for the family's privacy at this very distressing time. Neighbours said the family owned at least two large Rottweilers. A local said... I've seen the owners of the White Cottage before. They have Rottweilers. You can hear them barking from the fields. I used to see them walking the dogs. One time they got out onto the main road. It's all secluded, so you really don't see anyone. Everyone is kind of hidden away. I walk my dog here a lot because of the route, and you can hear the dogs barking. Lots of barks. A resident who walks his own dog nearby said, everyone keeps themselves pretty private around here and no one asks many questions. I think people are a bit intimidated by the family with those dogs. We call them the beasts because they're always making such a racket. My wife refuses to walk our dog anywhere near there in case they get out. Everyone is so sad for the little lad who died. It's an absolute tragedy.
2: And on Monday, April the 4th, the headline was Betrayed by man they took in. A caring couple were betrayed by the homeless man they had taken into their own home only for him to steal, then pawn their belongings. Reagan Wilmot, now of Dent Close, Worcester, admitted theft when he appeared before magistrates in Worcester. The 19-year-old stole a Sony camera, two soldering irons, a San-Disk PC hard drive, a platinum ring and a gold necklace from Colin and Suzanne Bunce on February 21st, two people who had opened their home to him as part of the charity initiative Night Stop. Sarah Wolfe, prosecuting, said for the last two years Mr. Bunce had worked as a volunteer for the charity – which offered temporary accommodation, providing a roof and support for the defendant, who was homeless at the time. A week after he'd been staying with them, they noticed the external hard drive was missing, valued at £130. Wilmot was asked about it, but claimed he hadn't seen it, said Miss Wolfe. On February 18th, Mrs. Bunz, who had planned to take some photos that day, discovered her camera, valued at £250, was missing. They then had identified that two soldering irons worth 70 and £20 had also gone. The jewellery he took was of value unknown. They suspected Mr. Wilmot had taken the items because the items going missing coincided with the times he had been residing at their property, and there was nobody else in the house at that time, she said. Further investigation revealed that Wilmot had pawned the items at cash converters in Worcester. Mr. Bunce said in a victim personal statement, This has destroyed me. He added, this whole incident has made me feel angry. Someone we tried to help has betrayed us in this way. Wilmot made full and frank admissions in interview. He was apologetic for what, he had, ha- for what had happened, said Miss Wolfe. He had no previous relevant convictions. He had a conviction for stalking from January and Mr. Shewart, defending, said Wilmot had pleaded guilty at the earliest opportunity and had sold his own phone to get the camera back. The theft was committed to fund his cannabis habit. He tried his best to return that property, said the solicitor. Wilmot, who was already subject to a community order, was made subject to another... Standalone community order for 12 months to include 40 extra hours of unpaid work. He was ordered to pay compensation of £470, costs of £100, and the victim surcha-
3: surcharge of £95. On Tuesday, April the 5th, the, s- the headline was 17 Hour Wait for Ambulance. Ambulance bosses apologised and blamed severe pressure after a 97-year-old woman waited 17 hours for an ambulance on a care home floor. Sally Oakley, who has dementia, fell in the communal lounge at the Beechwood Residential Care Home in Upton-Upon-Seven at 3pm. But West Midlands Ambulance Service did not arrive until 8am the following day. Her son, Richard Oakley, said... I was contacted by the care home in Upton on Thursday afternoon to say she had a controlled fall. They had called 999 as she may have injured herself and they were waiting for an ambulance. I kept regular contact with the home until the evening at around 11pm that night. He continued, They had made numerous calls to the 999 service and one still had not come. I went to bed and told the staff I was happy to be kept updated throughout the course of the night. I woke up early the next day and phoned the home and an ambulance still had not arrived. She was taken to Worcestershire Royal Hospital, checked over and discharged. Mr Oakley said my mum had been laying in the communal area that entire time. Thankfully the staff made her comfortable. I contacted West Midlands Ambulance Service to make a complaint and they were also shocked and amazed about the delay but they could not offer any explanation as to how this had happened. He continued, I was very, very concerned as to what was happening. I appreciate they need to prioritise calls, but I find it virtually impossible to believe that there wasn't some opportunity for her to receive a visit in those 17 hours. When the ambulance got there, they were concerned she was dehydrated and took her in straight away, which is pretty ironic. A West Midlands Ambulance Service spokesman said... We would like to apologise to Ms Oakley and her family for the time it took to reach her. The whole of the NHS remains under severe pressure and unfortunately hospital handover delays mean some patients are waiting far longer for an ambulance to come to them than we would want. A paramedic from the Trust's control room made a welfare call at 4.09pm on Thursday to check on the patient's condition. During the call the paramedic provided further advice to manage her condition and advised of ambulance delays. The West Midlands Ambulance Service spokesman continued, "We continue to work with local partners to find ways to reduce the delays so that our crews can respond more quickly. The family has contacted the service to raise a complaint which will be fully investigated."
0: Wednesday, April the 6th. Running on empty. Empty tanks at garages. Drivers have been searching for fuel as several petrol stations in Worcester close pumps because of shortages. Queues built at petrol stations which have a steady supply of unleaded and diesel, while several had to shut early yesterday as they ran out of fuel. Drivers took to social media to share their frustration and asked people to recommend places they could fill up their cars. Diesel was mainly affected by the shortages, with Standard Unleaded also running out at a city petrol station. Climate change campaigners have staged a protest at an oil facility near Heathrow Airport on their fourth day of action. Over the weekend, Just Stop Oil blocked oil depots in Greys, Purfleet, Buntsfield, Tamworth and central Birmingham. More than 80 people were arrested in Essex over the weekend, while 14 were held in Staines in Surrey and six were arrested in Birmingham. Extinction Rebellion said around 30 protesters returned to the Esso West oil facility in West London at 4am on Monday as part of their campaign to urge the government to stop using fossil fuels. In a statement The group said they were blocking the entrance with two bamboo structures and two large banners that said join us London 9th of April and stop fossil fuels now. Andrew Smith from Extinction Rebellion said we're here to say that climate action cannot wait. Right now governments are choosing to exploit the crisis in Ukraine to hand out oil licences and continue the fossil fuel economy that's destroying us. The reality is The UK public wants faster action on climate as the energy crisis hits. We know what's happening and what needs to be done by acting in favour of corporate interest over the will of the people. The government is showing contempt for the people who elected them. How long ago did our Prime Minister say COP26 was our last chance to save humanity? And now they're sidelining climate policy once again. This is not living in reality.
1: Thursday, April the 7th. 294 knives in Angel Amnesty. The Knife Angels Amnesty box saw almost 300 weapons handed in throughout the month of March. A total of 294 knives were placed in the amnesty box in front of the statue in Cathedral Square. It served as a place where people could get rid of unwanted knives that they wanted off the streets. West Mercia Police participated in a wide variety of events throughout the month, raising awareness of the dangers of knife crime. On March 24th, the total was 140 weapons, meaning that 154 knives were surrendered during the remaining seven days of the month. A West Mercia police spokesperson said, The Knife Angel Initiative has seen 294 weapons surrendered to the bin in Cathedral Square. That is a huge number of weapons that no longer have the potential to end up on our streets. We will continue to work hard to keep weapons out of our society and keep everyone safe. Education is a major part of our efforts and alongside Worcestershire County Council, we launched the Steer Clear campaign to warn young people and their families about the dangers of carrying knives. We want children in our communities to realise just how dangerous carrying a knife is, both to themselves and other people, and to get them to think twice before getting involved in criminal activity. The Knife Amnesty Box was a secure, guarded-at-all-times location throughout the course of the month. The statue was created by Shropshire-based artist Alfie Bradley and has a permanent residence at the British Ironworks Museum. The Knife Angel is constructed out of 100,000 knives surrendered to constabularies across the country, many of which have been used in acts of violence or as a means of protection. At the official launch event of the Knife Angel in Cathedral Square, Mr Bradley explained that many of the blades were inscribed with messages from families and friends of those who have lost loved ones to knife crime. Worcester said goodbye to the Knife Angel in the early hours of the morning on April 1st as it departs to its next location, Stoke-on-Trent.
2: After 130 years of trading in the area, the co-op in St John's is set to close this week. The site could become a 60-bed retirement village and care home for the elderly, but neighbouring businesses are sad to see it go. The closure will have a direct impact on the community, warned councillor Richard Udall, who previously said that the St John's store is essential to the area. Tracy McCowan, receptionist at Beauty by Tabitha, is worried the store closure might affect business for the salon. Ms McEwen said it's a big loss for St John's. Clients use the co-op and then come here, so the store is good for business. I'm hoping we will stay as busy as we are. I would like to know what they're doing about the car park. A spokesperson for Co-op confirmed the decision to close any store is not taken lightly and only after careful consideration has the difficult decision been taken for our St John's store to close on 9th of April. The closure is now no way, is in no way a reflection on the commitment and hard work of colleagues. Colleagues entered into a consultation process that enabled them to talk about and express their preferences and choices based on their own individual circumstances. All have been fully supported throughout the process, including filling vacancies in stores around the area. The co-op would like to thank the community for its support of the store over the years. Opposite the supermarket, popular butcher H. Deus said, the co-op does not impact its trade due to its shop's strong social media presence. But butcher Tristan Meyer said, I don't think the store closure will affect us a lot because we have quite a good online presence. But I think it will have a big effect on people in the community. Even we use the store quite a lot. The St. Richard's Hospice charity shop benefited from being just opposite the co-op. Jordan Turner, who works at the shop, said normally customers would come and have a look at us too. I reckon it'll shock the older generation when it closes because they're used to shopping in a smaller store. The store has been open in the area for over 100 years and is a key part of the community. Miss Turner said, My mum used to work there when I was born 21 years ago. She used to be a cleaner there and the people were really friendly. Members of staff at the supermarket have called store closure
3: the end of an era. Three hour long queues formed outside a city tattoo parlour so people could get a poignant tattoo with a special message. People waited patiently outside Jack's Shack in London Road to have the semicolon tattoo which raises awareness of mental health issues and suicide prevention. Owner of the tattoo studio, Neil Gorman, said his struggle with depression encouraged him to get involved with the semicolon project. He tattooed scores of people with one of the several semicolon tattoo designs, which symbolises that the story is not over with all the proceeds going to charity. Mr Gorman said, I think it will start a new conversation. It doesn't get spoken about enough, especially in my generation, people in their 40s and 50s. People are going through a lot of stuff because of COVID-19 and so much is going on. It's more of a pandemic than COVID-19. The tattoo parlour was offering walk-ins all day, which led to over three-hour waiting times for some customers. Mr Gorman said, to have the patience to do that shows how much it means to people. Helen Wallace, who was waiting in line, said, this is my first ever tattoo. My daughter has been trying to get me one for years, but it is a prevalent issue and it's a good cause. We've been waiting for over two hours, but it's worth the time. The semicolon symbolises that your story isn't over and there is more to come. Next in the queue was mother and daughter Sandra and Katie Wakelam, who also came down to support the cause. They opted for a semicolon behind the ear and a semicolon on the wrist with a heart, respectively. Sandra Wakelam, who works as a school nurse, said, ''People want to take part. That's why they are coming out on a workday. Even if you don't have mental health problems yourself, it starts a conversation, I think.'' The semicolon has not only made an impact in Worcester, but the tattoo has made a global impression across the world and many celebrities, including Selena Gomez, also have the iconic tattoo.
0: Patients will have more chances to see visitors at Worcestershire Royal Hospital from next week. Worcestershire Acute Hospital Trust announced that patients will be able to receive one visitor per day for a pre-booked 45-minute slot with two separate visitors able to register to visit during the patient's hospital stay. Relaxation of visiting restrictions will also be seen at the Alexandra and Kidderminster Royal Hospitals. Paula Gardner, Chief Nursing Officer at Worcester Cute Hospital NHS Trust, said... I would firstly like to extend our thanks and gratitude to our patients, their families and loved ones for their understanding and adherence to the very strict hospital visiting rules that we've had to impose throughout this pandemic. Your diligence and awareness of the need to keep loved ones safe in hospital has been key in our efforts to fight the virus. We recognise the contribution that visiting makes to the well-being and person-centred care of our patients and the support and love families and friends bring. Our new guidance will enable us to ease visiting restrictions and reconnect our patients and their loved ones in a safe and managed way. With Covid infections still commonplace in our local communities, we need to ensure that we continue to exercise caution, and I want to stress that this is not a full return to normality. However, the measures we are putting in place are safe, proportionate and responsible, and we look forward to gradually easing further restrictions as circumstances allow. To ensure visits can be managed in a safe way, visitors will be asked to book their visit through a visiting app on the Worcestershire Acute Hospital NHS Trust website. Where patients do not have access to or cannot use the app, they will be asked to contact the ward via hospital switchboards to arrange their visit. The new guidance applies to inpatient ward areas. Visiting guidelines for maternity, neonatal and children's wards remain unchanged and can be accessed via the Trust website. Separate measures will still be in place for patients identified as requiring compassionate visiting. The full guidance for patient visiting can be found on the Trust's website.
1: On September the 23rd, it will be exactly 380 years since the skirmish at Poet Bridge and the start of the English Civil Wars. Discover History founded an annual citywide commemoration of the English Civil Wars in 2003. This commemoration continues every year. In the past, we have organised large-scale exhibitions, battlefield tours and numerous talks on the topic. During the height of the pandemic, we also filmed several YouTube videos with the Civil Wars as the theme. These included an hour-by-hour account of the two battles fought at Worcester in 1642 and 1651. This year, we are producing a number of special articles to explain the events that led to the English Civil Wars in 1642. King Charles I became king in 1625 and married Henrietta Marie, a French Catholic, shortly after. There were angry voices in the country's taverns and inns from the very beginning, Worcester being no exception. The monarch, ever since Henry VIII, was head of the Church of England and his openly Catholic wife worried many, especially when Archbishop William Lord began to reform the Church. Many people saw the changes being made inside the churches as having a Catholic influence. Charles dusted off old taxes and expanded on the current ones to help pay for foreign wars. One tax that we know was most hated in the city of Worcester was the ship tax, used to pay for the navy. This was opened out to all towns and not just the coastal ones – So Worcester folk were paying for a navy would never see defend our shores. Parliament had argued with the king numerous times, and in 1629 Charles went on to close Parliament for 11 years because he was refused more money. This period was often known as the 11 years of tyranny. Many believed the king was not directly to blame, but that his many advisers were the problem. One such person was Thomas Wentworth, the 1st Earl of Strafford, who was eventually executed in 1641. In the past many people knew the monarch was the power of the land, and this was down to the tradition of the divine right of kings. As the 17th century moved on, more and more people were starting to question the king's authority. The grand remonstrance was given to the king with a list of over 200 grievances, which covered everything from his foreign, financial, legal and religious policies. Two distinct groups were beginning to form during this time, those who followed the king and those who were now looking for parliament to guide them through the rocky waters. Worcester was like every city, undecided and mixed. England and the city of Worcester had seen civil war before. In particular, the Stephen and Matilda civil war, where the city may have acquired its faithful status. Faithful to King Stephen in the 12th century. By the 1640s, it looked like war may be the only way to sort out the charged atmosphere that was beginning to overshadow daily life. The city had risen to importance in 1621 when King James I gifted it a new charter, creating the city and council, and establishing the post of mayor. Worcester was a prosperous wool-producing city and was enjoying the boom in trade. The citizens were mainly involved in the cloth industry as carders, spinners, weavers, fullers and dyers. The city was an important inland trading port, standing on the tidal River Severn, with a population around 7,000 people. Worcester was also surrounded by its 13th century stone wall, a wide town ditch, and access inside the city was made via the city gates. Unfortunately, because the 16th century had been relatively peaceful... Defence budgets on these had been moved to be spent on other things. The walls were crumbling, the town ditch filled with silt and rubbish, and the gates did not close at night due to the fear that they would fall from their rusting hinges. In the area outside the walls, a large suburb expanded up London Road, across Lowsmore and to the north along the Tithing and beyond, at the start of 1642, the city continued with life and tried to ignore the fact that war could happen once the talking in London stopped. A convicted drug dealer threw his sick wife out of the
2: house by her dressing gown. Lee Groves, who had been acting as her carer, also strangled her, kicked her, punched her and insulted her about her weight, despite her being vulnerable because of her medical conditions, including sciatica, which meant she found herself spending most of the day in bed. The victim had told police she believed she was going to end up in a box, dead at the defendant's hands, and that she lived in fear of him, said the prosecutor, yet still she wants to be reconciled with him once he gets out of jail. The 56-year-old defendant of Pike Close off Bath Road, Worcester, was jailed for 26 months at Worcester Crown Court after he admitted grievous bodily harm, Section 20, without intent, on October 21st last year. Two counts of assault occasioning actual bodily harm in July last year and November 23rd last year, and a further count of controlling and coercive behavior throughout last year. In a letter, Groves said he was ashamed and disgusted by his actions towards his wife. The court heard how Groves had previously threatened his wife on February 17, 2020, holding a knife to her throat and saying, You ain't leaving me, I will slit your throat. Simon Phillips, prosecuting, said his wife had lived with Groves for 14 years, but the two spent most of the time trying to stay out of each other's way. She describes his behaviour as being unpredictable and volatile, said Mr Phillips. Mr Phillips said an argument occurred on November 23rd last year when Groves called her fat. Without warning, he kicked her with such force that she fell backwards onto the floor. He then kicked her a further two times to the back and started trying to punch her. She asked him to stop, but he slapped her face, hitting her nose, making it bleed. The GBH in October last year happened after she started throwing his clothes out of the bedroom. He picked her up by the lapels of her dressing gown and threw her out of the front door when she fell back and hit her head. The prosecution say this was what caused the slipped disc. The attack in July involved strangulation, putting his hands around her throat as he held her against the wall. Judge Nicholas Cole said she thought you were going to kill. No restraining order was made because Grove's wife had written to
3: him in prison saying she wanted to reconcile with him. Worcester residents are being urged to ensure they're registered to vote in the city's upcoming council elections. You need to be registered by the deadline of 14th of April to have your say at the ballot box. Worcester City Council currently holds elections in three out of every four years, with a third of councillors being elected each time. This year, voters will go to the polls in 12 of the city's 15 wards on election day, Thursday, May the 5th. The City Council is responsible for services including planning, bin collections, housing, leisure and parks. Shane Flynn, the returning officer for Worcester, said... Time is running out to make sure you can take part in Worcester's local elections. If you have recently turned 18 or moved home, it is particularly important to make sure you are correctly registered to vote. Remember, if you are not registered before midnight on the 14th of April, you won't be able to take part. So please take five minutes to go to gov.uk slash register to vote. If you were registered to vote in the last election and your details have not changed, you don't need to take any action. If in doubt, you can check with the City Council at electoral services at worcester.gov.uk or by calling 01905 722 You can apply for a postal vote in Worcester and those wishing to do so, to apply for a postal vote or for a proxy vote where they nominate someone else to cast their ballot paper for them should go to www.worcester.gov.uk slash elections. The deadline for postal votes is 5pm on April the 19th and for a proxy application, the deadline is 5pm on April the 26th. This year, Worcester City Council has elections for one councillor in each of the following wards. Battenhall, Bedwardine, Cathedral, Claines, Gorse Hill, Rainbow Hill, St John's, St Peter's Parish, Warndon, Warndon Parish North and Warndon Parish South. In Nunnery Ward, there will also be a by-election following the recent resignation of Jim Carver as a councillor so voters there will be asked to choose two candidates on a single ballot paper. There will not be elections this year in the Arboretum, St Clement and St Stephen's Ward.
0: A major work to build a new mosque in the city has started to take shape. The multi-million pound proposal will see a huge new mosque built in Worcester Stanley Road. The mosque's foundations have been laid as work continues to build the landmark facility, which will eventually include a sports centre, education complex and apartments. The first phase of the work could cost as much as £4 million, with the rest of the planned facilities costing at least £2.2 million. Mohammed Iqbal, General Secretary of Worcester Muslim Welfare Association, said the mosque would blend with the character of the surrounding Victorian homes and was inspired by the classic mosques of Samarkand in Uzbekistan. One of the features we have added, and not seen in other mosques, is the minaret in our mosque, which will function as a lift to all the floors. The space inside the mosque will be magnificent, light and airy, with classic geometric designs embedded within the internal facade. The mosque will be used by the wider community. The idea is the mosque will not just be a place of worship, but a place of communal gathering and a place of belonging. The garden was inspired and will be named after the great Sulfi saint, a 13th century poet, Jalaluddin Rumai, He was a poet of love and inspiration the garden will be a place of peace and tranquility and we hope to inspire the minds of people to enjoy the architecture nature and surrounding environment this project will be a great asset to worcester once completed and the area will be regenerated adding great value initial work started at the end of last year with the hope of first phase is finished by the end of july Mr. Iqbal said the work will be carried out in three phases over the next few years, but is dependent on fundraising. This project is solely funded by the local community who have worked tirelessly over the last few years and have raised nearly £900,000, he said. We're absolutely grateful to the generous and wonderful community who have supported us, especially in the tough economic climate we are all experiencing.
1: A debris build-up at the Beverley Fish Pass has raised concern for the well-being of endangered, endangered Twait shad in the area. Sticks, logs, and other debris have formed a considerable blockage at the fish pass, which has raised concerns for the well-being of the fish. The new fish pass takes the form of a 100-metre bypass channel through which fish can swim up a gradually sloped rock ramp channel around the weir. Blocks cast into the base of the channel act to slow the water and break up the flow, which creates the conditions that fish, including the endangered twad shad, can comfortably swim through. Councillor Karen Lawrence Worcester City Councillor said The fish pass at Bevery is blocked with sticks. It's quite unsightly Pictures were posted to Facebook on Sunday and I tried to report it but ended up having to use Twitter I appreciate it's not exactly an emergency but you don't want it to keep getting worse and worse If you want to be able to go to there and see the fish then it has to be kept clear the Canal and River Trust are aware of the situation and are planning on the removal of the debris. A spokesperson said, We are aware of the debris at Bevery Fish Pass and are planning to get it removed. Fish are still able to use the pass and it will be cleared up in due course. The Fish Pass opened on September the 23rd, 2020 as part of the canal and river trusts unlocking the Severn project. Specialist divers cut the steel piles at the mouth of the fish pass and a temporary dam was removed, allowing the river water to finally flow through the new structure. It meant that for the first time in more than 170 years, river fish have free passage past the weir at Bevery. Unlocking the Severn is one of the largest river connectivity projects of its kind ever attempted in Europe and has been made possible through funding from the National Lottery Heritage Fund and the European Union Life Programme. Worcester Carnival is returning to the city's
2: streets for the first time in three years. A date has been set for the return of the popular event – which had to be cancelled in both 2020 and 2021 because of the pandemic. This year's Carnival will take place on Saturday, July the 2nd, with a full day of events planned, including the Carnival Village at Pitchcroft and the Grand Parade through the city centre. The theme of this year's Carnival is Celebration – and organisers want the event to be a real celebration of both the city of Worcester and its people. There is sure to be a huge amount of support for the Carnival, which will be the first to take place in the city since 2019 after Covid put paid to two previous events. A parade theme of Countries of the World had been announced for 2020, but organisers were quick to cancel the event after the UK went into its first COVID lockdown. In February 2021, Worcester Carnival was again cancelled with the country in a third lockdown and government guidance at the time warning against mass gatherings. It is a huge commitment from the many community groups who take months to develop and build their floats and so we wanted to let you all know as soon as possible, the Carnival Committee said in a statement at the time. Joining the Worcester Carnival Parade, Worcester Carnival is all about inclusion and many of our participants will be in the most vulnerable groups. So as much as we are saddened at the prospect of not putting on this much-loved community event, we know it is the right decision. A year later, and the committee has happier news, we are really happy to announce that after a two-year hiatus due to covid Worcester Carnival is returning for a celebration of our amazing city on Saturday, July the 2nd. We want Worcester Carnival to be every bit as big a party as we all remember. Volunteers are wanted to help run the event. As always, there'll be opportunities to join the parade either on a float or as a walking group and traders are wanted for the Carnival Village. Details of how to take part can be found at worcester-carnival.co.uk.
3: A departing councillor has hit out at the City Council's Tories, accusing them of bullying and running a benevolent dictatorship. Councillor Louise Griffiths, who defected from the Green Party to the Conservatives a year after being elected, will be leaving Worcester City Council ahead of May's local elections, and took a few parting shots at the Council's Tory leadership. Making a farewell speech during the last full Council meeting ahead of the elections, Councillor Griffiths said leaving the Green Party was probably the biggest mistake she had ever made, and had found herself on the edge in the last year over the behaviour of her Conservative colleagues. Councillor Griffiths said she had watched people across the council chamber, usually women, bullied for their views and accused the council of running a benevolent dictatorship which the city council's leader denies. She said, obviously I left the Green Group after a year and I have to say now that it was probably the biggest mistake I have ever made. I'm now sitting with a group who I share very little with ideologically and who I find myself disagreeing with more often than not. Over the past year it has gotten increasingly more difficult to sit with this group and I have found myself on the edge, either not coming to full council meetings, watching them from home or sitting here quietly, not wanting to say anything. What I have experienced over the last couple of months, and particularly at the last council meeting in February, was watching people on this council, usually women, get bullied get bullied for standing as an MP candidate, get bullied for wanting air quality censors, not once but twice at least, and I think that it is really awful. I don't see very much compassion in politics in this council chamber. What I see is a bit of a benevolent dictatorship, and I am very glad to be leaving. Council leader Councillor Mark Bayliss rejected the accusations of bullying. I don't think there has been any bullying at the council, he said. Louise has never raised these concerns with me. She has had more than enough opportunities to raise any concerns with me or the group and has not done so. When she left the Greens, she had very similar concerns and now she has left us. She has the same concerns. It's for the people to judge and they will draw their own conclusions. Councillor Griffiths was elected to represent the city's Hall Ward for the Greens in 2018 but defected to the Conservatives a year later in a shock move. She has chaired the Council's Health and Wellbeing Committee since its creation last year and despite being proud of bringing active travel and child poverty to the top of the agenda she was very pessimistic about the way things were going. I think we are about to see a lot more poverty in this city and there is very little this council or the government are doing to alleviate that, she added.
0: One of Worcester's biggest employees has announced a voluntary initiative to celebrate the firm's 60th birthday. Worcester Bosch has given its employees the opportunity to volunteer a working day for a charity or community of their choice as celebration for the milestone birthday continue. The scheme is open to 1,800 employees nationwide and the firm is looking for county, charity or community-led projects that have national reach to support. The firm that has sites in Worcester and Clay Cross says the aim is to give back to the community and go beyond just being known for the products it manufactures. Over the last six decades, the charity work has not only helped the manufacturer support and build lasting connections with the local community, but has helped inspire both employees and the next generation of apprentices and young professionals. Every year, employees choose a charity to fundraise for, and this year the chosen charity is Mind, which provides mental health services. Over the years, hundreds of thousands of pounds have been raised for good causes, along with days spent helping local charities, including St Richard's Hospice and Acorn's Children's Hospice. Victoria Billings, Director of Marketing at Worcester Bosch, said, Throughout our 60-year history, warming lives has been an intricate part of our business, not only in the products we manufacture, but in the impact we have on those around us. We really want this to shine through during our anniversary by offering a collective 12,600 hours of support from all of our employees. Any firms looking for volunteers that are based in Worcestershire are asked to contact Bosch by visiting worcesterbosch.co.uk slash 60-year volunteer and fill in the simple online form. The project will be added to a register shared around the internal employees and any interested volunteers will then get in touch.
1: There has been a rise in the number of people being treated for coronavirus in Worcestershire hospitals. The latest NHS figures show that there were 117 people in Worcestershire hospitals with COVID-19 on April 1st, the latest available day of data. The figures also show there was one person in intensive care with COVID-19 on that day. In comparison, around a month ago on March 10th, there were 95 people in county hospitals, Worcestershire Royal Hospital, Kidderminster Hospital and the Alexandra Hospital in redditch and one person in intensive care. Latest NHS figures also reveal that Worcestershire Acute NHS Hospitals Trust has reached a milestone figure. The data, up to Friday, April the 1st, shows that the total number of deaths at the Trust sites have now reached 1,003. Worcestershire Health and Care NHS Trust total is at 69 meaning in total there have been 1,072 deaths in county hospitals during the pandemic. Public Health England figures show that there were 5,871 cases in county in the week up to March 27th, a rise of 6.3% on the previous week. Worcester saw a rise of 17.4% in the seven days to March the 27th to 1,030 cases recorded, the highest of all the six regions. Haven, which includes Evesham and Droitwich, was up 5.6% to 1,431 cases. Malvern Hills saw a drop of 2.1%, to 827 recorded cases. Redditch saw a rise of 15.8% to 777 recorded cases. And Wire Forest, which includes Kidderminster, saw a rise of 2.9% to 887 cases. The latest vaccination figures up to March 31st show 87.5% of Worcestershire adults have had a first dose of a COVID vaccine, 83.7% have had a second, while 69.5% have had a booster. Concerns
2: were raised over the welfare of fish and ducks after parts of a Worcester canal were left looking very low. Water levels were looking low on the Bilford Lock stretch of the Birmingham and Worcester Canal, near Perdiswell Leisure Centre. But the Canal and River Trust has fixed the problem and water levels are now back up again. A trust person said someone had left one of the top-end ground paddles, part of the filling and emptying mechanism of the lock, up a couple of inches. Our team picked it up on
3: their rounds this morning and closed the paddles and filled it back up again. A shy cat has been handed over to the RSPCA after being bullied by another cat in her previous home. She's now waiting to be adopted by someone without children or other pets to suit her timid personality. Remy is overwhelmed by children and other animals and could not cope in her busy home and so was passed along to the RSPCA. A spokesperson from the RSPCA Worcester said, Remy came into our care as she wasn't coping in her home. There was another resident cat who bullied her, presumably due to her shy disposition. There were also young children and Remy clearly felt overwhelmed by such a busy household. She is a shy, quiet, sweet-natured cat, smaller than average, and although she is five, she looks very kitten-like. Lots of people have shown an interest in her when I have posted her on our social media, but unfortunately all of the people wanting to offer her a home have had other cats or young children in the home. Although she was initially very shy and hid from us, she is a lovely, sweet and affectionate girl. Anyone with a home that could welcome Remy should fill out a perfect match form and email it to animal-centre-staff at
0: rspcawooster.org.uk. A girl who had to dress as her hero for comic relief immediately knew who she wanted to go as, her oncology nurse. Mia Chamberlain had completed treatment for leukaemia when she chose to dress as her Worcestershire Royal Hospital nurse for Red Nose Day. The nine-year-old donned a blue dress, stethoscope and blonde wig to emulate specialist oncology nurse Dawn Forbes. A spokesperson from Worcestershire Acute Hospital Trust said she was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukaemia in January 2018 when she was just five and has treated regularly in the children's clinic at Worcester Royal Hospital by Dawn and the rest of the team but has developed a particularly close bond with Dawn. She completed her treatment for leukaemia in May 2020 with two and a half years of treatment at Worcestershire Royal Hospital but will continue to come into the children's clinic for outpatient follow-up for a total of five years after the end of her treatment. So Dawn and the team have obviously got to know her very well. Mrs Forbes said, Dawn said I'm extremely flattered that Mia chose me. I'm aware of the strength and courage required by children to fight cancer and it's these children who inspire
1: me. We're now going to read four sports stories and starting off with rugby. It looks set to be a memorable evening at King's Home at the end of this month when Worcester Warriors and Gloucester go head-to-head in the Premiership Rugby Cup semi-final. After the 13-7 win... At the Wreck against Bath, Warriors reached the final four of the competition for just the second time and just their third semi-final in their history. Tickets for the game will go on sale for Worcester supporters on Friday April 8th on Gloucester's official website and are priced from just £12 for adults. Warriors confirmed that they have also received an allocation of tickets to sell themselves so that supporters can be sat together at King's Home to create an almost football-esque away end. With prices cut for the game and a large crowd expected, it has all the ingredients for a buzzing atmosphere under the lights on Wednesday, April 27th. Semi-finals and a chance of winning trophies have not come along too often for Worcester in professional rugby. They reached the final of the European Challenge Cup in 2008, lost to Bath at Kingsholm, and then otherwise just a semi against Saracens in the 2019 Premiership Rugby Cup is all supporters have had the chance to enjoy. It's a tournament that most clubs have used in the past to develop academy players and also to provide squad players a chance to play some minutes. That has certainly been the case for Worcester this season in the tournament, but those players have shone and won three of their four group games to deservedly progress to the semi-finals. But what will the club do now? Bring the big boys back in? Or will they stick with what has gone with them here. It's a debate that will rage on as the game approaches, but it sure has the makings of a brilliant night, and with a big crowd, hopefully an electric atmosphere.
2: Worcester Wolves are now just one win away from the National Basketball League Division 3 play-off final after a thrilling 70-55 to win over Manchester Swarm in their quarter-final clash at the University of Worcester Arena on Sunday. A blistering start from the Wolves saw them score 26 points in the opening quarter to open up a 16-point advantage after 12 minutes, and that proved decisive in the end. Wolves were in ruthless form, and at one point, late in the second... And they were 40 to 15 up before a late rally from the visitors reduced the gap to 42 to 24 at the break. Manchester improved in the second half, but the damage was done as Vivero Rodriguez top scored with 19 points, followed by 16 from Wilfred Sante and 14 from Lucas McGregor to give Worcester the victory. We came out ready and showed Manchester no mercy in the opening minutes, said Worcester coach Dean Blake. After that, we did enough to hold off their attacks and kept up the pressure at their basket. We now earned a spot in the semifinals and proved ourselves as one of the best teams in this league. I'm delighted for everyone at the club, for the players and for all our fans. Wolves will now host London Thunder at the University of Worcester Arena next Sunday, April the 10th, seeking a place in the playoff final on April 23rd. We need to maintain the intensity we showed for our next challenge, added Blake. We're going to spend the week getting ourselves in the best possible shape for a real fight with London. We want as many fans as possible to come along to the arena and help get us over the line and into the big playoff final in Manchester.
3: Worcester City and Stourport Swifts shared the points on Saturday as they played out a rather uneventful and disappointing Midland Football League Premier Derby at Walsh's Meadow. A rare moment of quality from the ever-impressive Rice-Taylor-Randall produced the first goal as his pinpoint ball over the Stourport back line allowed George Baker the space to find the bottom corner to give the visitors the lead. City ended the half well and could have been further ahead, but neither Dimitri Brown or Will Gibbons could make the most of their chances and they were made to rue those missed opportunities eight minutes into the second half as Ethan Hansen thumped a header into the bottom corner from Josh Masden's free kick to secure the hosts a deserved point. Having won back-to-back games in the space of a week, City went into the fixture confident, but they were well below par in the opening stages and struggled to keep the ball and looked shaky at the back. Swifts had the better end of the play and ex Worcester winger Taylor Townsend caused issues against his old club down the right, but the hosts didn't really force Adam Harrison into a save. The goal came just before the break as Taylor Randall picked up the ball just inside the Swifts' half before pinging one in behind to Baker, who charged forward from the right back to thump a finish into the bottom corner. Brown had, a chance to ident- in- Brown had a chance in identical fashion a minute later, but this time his shot sailed over the bar and at the break City had the lead. The hosts came out strongly and they found their equaliser not long after the interval as Masden delivered a looping free kick into the City box and Hansen got highest to head home. There was little to talk about in in truth thereafter, and following the full-time whistle, Worcester manager Tim Harris admitted it was a fair result. I don't think we deserved to win it, and possibly Stourport did, he said. We had a good start, but then tailed off, so we were delighted to go in 1-0 at half-time. But then we didn't do enough in the second half, but you have to give them, Stourport, credit, because they stuck at it and worked hard and stopped us playing. All in all, not a disaster when you look at the amount of draws Stourport have had this season. I did think about changing the side around after the midweek win where we were really, really sharp. We have a young side and we need them to deal with circumstances like today better than they have done. It's a learning curve for some of them today. A draw was a fair result.
0: Pre-season preparations are over for Worcestershire's cricketers after a convincing win over Durham MCCU. The side wrapped up their victory by 141 runs on the final afternoon at Chester Road. Kidderminster, after star performance from Jake Libby, Ed Barnard, Brett Dolivera and Josh Baker. With preparations complete, attention turns to the county championships opener against Leicester at Grace Road. The Worcestershire players have put in 14 days of valuable match practice across five games with only minimal interruptions by the weather. Jake Libby, Ed Pollock, Gareth Roderick, Jake Haynes, Dolivera and Ed Barnard of the top six batters have all scored at least one half century in pre-season. The new ball attack of Joe Leach and Dylan Pennington has also looked in fine fettle during the past two weeks. Speaking after the prep was wrapped up, coach Kadir Ali highlighted young spinner Josh Baker as a role model for young players to break into the first team. He said Josh was on the academy 18 months ago, so he has been fast-tracked very quickly and he deserves it. He has come into the environment full of confidence and has done what he has done since he was a young kid. He has bowled consistently a great example and anyone on the academy should be encouraged by what he's done. I'm sure they will have opportunities to play, exposure to seconds cricket and with hard work they can start pushing. There are a few talented lads. Ollie Cox last season showed some encouraging signs. Reeve Evitz, Ben Parker, Ishmael Mohammed, Rehan Edovaleth. There are quite a few of them. If you look at Jack Haynes early last season, he came into the second team, got some big scores, put the pressure on and got into the side. That is the same for everyone else, batters or bowlers. They've got to try and perform and keep pushing. Alex Gidman for a first team place. It is a really exciting, it is really exciting for me trying to get guys back into the first team alongside the young lads coming through the academy. And that is the end of this week's contribution. Um, thank you very much for listening. The obituaries will follow the music and it just remains for us all to say, keep safe and until next time, goodbye. And now we have the obituaries. Sue Willock, Nay Handy, died on the 3rd of March. A private family cremation followed by a service of thanksgiving on April the 21st at 12.30 at St Barnabas Church, Worcester. Family flowers only and donations, if desired, to Christian Aid and NSPCC. Ivor William Blinko passed away on the 13th of March. Funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 20th of April at 2.30. Family flowers only but donations, if desired, to the British Heart Foundation. All inquiries to A. V. Band, Funeral Directors, Worcester. John Terence Pitman died on the 16th of March. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, the 25th of April, at 10 a.m. Please wear bright colours. Family flowers only. But donations to Salvation Army and Air Ambulance via Worcester Co-op Funeral Care. Dennis Salt, Den, passed away the 18th of March. Funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 13th of April at 2.30. Family flowers only, but a donation plate will be available following the service, or donations can be sent directly to Bernardo's, Tanner's Lane, Ilford, IG6-1QG. Norman James Cooper passed away peacefully on the 19th of March. A funeral service to take place at Our Lady Queen of Peace Catholic Church on Tuesday the 12th of April at 10.45, followed by a burial at St John's Cemetery. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, will be gratefully received for Acorn's Children's Hospice. All inquiries to the Co-op Funeral Care. And anyone wishing to celebrate can join us at the Diglis Hotel. Nicholas Peter Young, Nick, passed away on the 21st of March. Funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, the 13th of April at 12.15. UK flowers only, please. And donations to Heart Research UK can be sent care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, Worcester. Alan Wilkins passed away peacefully on the 23rd of March. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 14th of April at 3.15pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for the Cystic Fibrosis Trust may be left on the collection plate or sent to EJ Cymru and Son. Casual clothes by request, please. Mark Badger passed away peacefully on the 27th of March. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, the 11th of April at 11.30. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for the donkey sanctuary in Sidmouth may be left on the collection plate or sent to E. J. Gummery and Sons. Cyril Mayer passed away peacefully on the twenty eighth of march, funeral to take place at Tibberton Church on Wednesday the thirteenth of April at two thirty. Family flowers only, but donations if desired, for Worcester Animal Rescue, can be left at the church or sent to Worcester Funeral Services, Kilbury Drive. And Geraldine Annis passed away on March the 30th. Funeral service at the Vale Crematorium, Fladbury, on Thursday, April the 14th at 10am. Flowers or donations for the British Legion may be sent to E. Hill & Son, Pershaw. And our thoughts and prayers go to the families and friends of those who have lost loved ones.